0: for joining us today on episode number 102 of the Real Life Runners podcast. A lot of people start running because they want to be healthier and get in better shape. And today we want to talk about the idea of being fit and healthy versus being race ready and how sometimes those two things don't always match up.
1: This is the Real Life Runners podcast and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So the idea for this episode has been in my head for a little while. Um, The idea of getting in shape to run a race versus just being the healthiest version of yourself that you can. Mm -hmm. I was talking with with a a new friend of mine who had run a marathon and after he crossed the finish line, he did not then think to himself, hey, I want to run another marathon. I want to run it faster. He thought... I'm not sure if running marathon is actually the healthiest thing for me. Yes. Is possible like he goes I'm not sure if going out for a 3 hour long run on the weekend is really my key to long-term health.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so that's, that's that's so insightful for him to say because I think that's so true and I think that a lot of people When they see other runners or other people, like they've, like, oh, that guy ran a marathon, like, he must be super fit and super healthy. Like, that's not necessarily the case.
1: No, no, it's definitely not. And I mean, arguably, you can get into a position where you're ready to run a marathon and not at all in a healthy position because you're so focused and keyed in on that. You haven't been sleeping for the last, like, six weeks because you have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and run your long run. Mm -hmm. Like, this might not be the healthiest long term approach.
0: Yeah, I mean that just reminds me of one of the chapters in the book Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor. Mm -hmm. Like she was talking about how she was training for the Beijing um, Olympics and how she was in the best shape of her life and she went out and then like in mile like five she was running and her foot just snapped. Like she just broke a bone in her foot and she had a line in the book, I should look it up but it basically said That she was, she said I was as fit as I ever had been in my entire life. But I realized that my health was always was also very poor at that time, and it was which is a weird
1: statement. It was
0: so weird, like it hit me, and I was like, "Wait, what?" You know, like because you would think like marathon Olympic marathoners they must be in the best shape of like anyone, like they're super healthy. And she basically. Said that you can't do both necessarily. Right. And she basically said, like, she was super fit. Like, she was ready. She was gunning to win that marathon. Yes. But she had been neglecting other areas of her health specifically her bone health um and her body was just leaching the vitamins and minerals from her bones because she wasn't eating properly she wasn't getting the right amount of sleep but like whatever it was like you know like the other aspects of her health were not on point so specifically her nutrition i think and so her body was Very strong, very fit, very ready to run that race, but her general health was not very good because she had been training at that level.
1: Right. I mean, one of the other things that gets me going on this topic is, you know, it's the start of the school year, so it's also the start of cross-country season. We got these kids coming out there that have never run a step in their life. Mm -hmm. You can do just about anything with them, and they will get in better shape. Yeah, as long
0: as you don't break them.
1: Right. Because... (laughs) All you have to do is slightly improve the health of, like, 14- and 15-year-old kids. So they're not doing a whole lot of super healthy things in the first place. If you can add on 30 minutes of running during the day, we throw some strength training at
0: them. Getting them to focus on some hydration and some healthier eating. Right.
1: If you can get them to replace soda with water, suddenly they're going to get substantially faster. Like, you can throw almost anything at them, and they're improving in leaps and bounds, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like, well, okay, so we can make these massive improvements in them just by making them healthy – And then we've got these veterans that it's like, well, you've already made some decent steps in healthy. How do we improve you? Right. And so then now you're into, well, we need to get you as fast as possible, but where's that line where I still want to make sure that you're plenty healthy Mm -hmm. because I don't want to mess with the health of these these teenage kids. Right. We want
0: to make sure that we're maintaining their health, but also getting them as fast and as fit as we can.
1: Right. Because I'm looking at some of these other coaches and I'm like, I don't know if they're coaching with the most healthy mindset over there.
0: Well, and, and that's true. True. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of women, especially girls that are in sports, especially running, um, they tend to experience hormonal imbalances like amenorrhea, which is like the lack of their menstrual cycle, because they're training at such high levels that their hormones and their general health are not that good.
1: Right, which is why it's super helpful to have you on the coaching staff because girls are not going to come up and tell me that. Yeah, it's just you know, not going to happen.
0: That actually makes me think that we should have like a specific talk about that specific topic, like when we do our breakout sessions. And you've
1: you, done that with the breakout you, session. I know before. you take
0: the boys and I take the girls, and like we just talk about girl stuff. If and necessary. we just sit over there and grunt. <laughs> right. So there is a difference in some situations between being fit and being healthy and then being race ready. Like, and we believe that the two should really not be that big of a difference, but like you should be healthy and then also be race ready. Like you should not have to compromise one for the other. A lot of other running coaches out there Or runners out there, especially elite runners, like they tend to blur that line a little bit more. So they they try to push that line or blur the line. And sometimes you really have to think, like, okay, is it worth me pushing this envelope so that I can try to get a little bit faster if it might compromise my general health or my long term health? Or, you know, should I pull back a little bit here, maintain that? overall health and maybe just not be as fast like it like i think that sometimes that is a decision that we have to make
1: right and when you're when you move up to like the olympic level they've all made that decision well, that they because, would much rather be faster yeah. than healthier they've all completely justified that
0: well and the part of the issue with that is that their paychecks depend on it also <laughs> yes. you know well, professional athletes like their livelihood is they have like times that they have to hit, they have places that they have to hit. So if they are not hitting those times, they're not getting paid.
1: No, and their their sponsors will literally just drop them. Yeah. It's, it's in the contract. Or if they get like,
0: pregnant, I mean, yeah, you have to there's be a in... whole thing. Of, we got to do an episode about that next. I'll leap
1: down that episode today. Yeah, not today. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, it's built into a lot of contracts that you have to run so many major races and Mm -hmm. finish in the top three or the top five. Otherwise, you're getting dropped.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kara Goucher was very verbal about that, you know, about how she had to run like a major race, like what 6 weeks or some 10 weeks after she was given birth like yeah, it was something to... so soon afterwards yeah she, she left
1: to... her newborn behind yeah it was
0: crazy <laughs> and she's like I, there's no way i should be running this race but if she didn't she would be in contract violation right like which is just insane yeah
1: she didn't i don't she didn't have to actually finish super high in the race, but she was required to, to be, to be in the there. Race. Yeah. Um, and I think by that point, Adam had retired. So, um, they weren't banking on his paycheck. It was all on her. So, right.
0: So it's like, you know, a lot of times these elite athletes do actually sacrifice their own general health in order to, be race ready because they have to, or they feel like they have to. A
1: lot of them have had that mental shift that they have to win at all costs. I mean, there was a study, it was a a few years ago Mm -hmm. at like really the height of all this like doping and everything. They asked like a bunch of Olympic athletes, they took the anonymous survey and said, if you could take a pill that would never be detected and would guarantee that you would be able to win the gold medal, would you do it? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was like the one that you will not be detected. There was another one that like you won't be detected until like 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were like, yes, I would take the pill. Yes, I would take the pill. And then they added on, what if you took the pill and it was guaranteed to drop 20 years off of your life? Mm-hmm. And it was something like over 80% of them were still like, yes, I'm taking the pill. Yeah. Because that's that's their mindset of, mm-hmm. nope, whatever it takes.
0: Well, and look at your friend Ryan Shea. Yeah. You know, I mean, Kevin had a, a guy that he ran with in college, and he knew that he had a heart condition. And to him, he still wanted to be a professional runner. Like against doctor's advice, basically, right? Like
1: the, No, he was not against doctor's advice. Okay. He knew that he had an enlarged heart. Okay. There was never a sign that his enlarged heart was arguably going to then put on difficulties. That his enlarged The only reason he knew he had an enlarged heart, he got in a car accident when he was in high school mm-hmm. and they took a chest x-ray. And they're like, right. wow, your heart is freakishly large. Yeah. But it's not like he, he had a heart condition. Right. He just, because of that chest x-ray or whatever it was, yeah. they knew that he had an enlarged heart. It probably... Probably helped him be as fast as he possibly was because with every pump of blood, he was shooting so much blood through his body mm-hmm. that it helped him run to the level that he did.
0: Yeah, but when you have cardiomyopathy, which is what that is, like in a large heart, like you need to be more careful with the physical physical activities that you choose. Right. And whereas him- he was
1: training at the absolute highest level right. that a marathoner could train at, and. I mean, in the Olympic trials, he made it to mile five.
0: Yeah. And then unfortunately, for those of you that might not be familiar with the story, like had a massive heart attack and passed away in the middle of the New York Marathon in 2007. And like, I remember after that happened, like obviously you were very affected because he played a major role in your running life. And I think that, you know, you, you had said to me like, yeah, but he knew that he knew that he had the condition, but he would rather run at that level versus pulling back because to him living a life without running or without training and running at that level wasn't worth it to him.
1: Right. That, I mean, that's that was his thing. It's It wasn't even that he had to win. It's that he had to try to win.
0: Like, to push himself to he that He had level. to push.
1: Like, not pushing just didn't make sense to him. Yeah. Like, oh, I have an enlarged heart, so I should just be average. Like, that didn't make any sense to him. It was yeah. such a ludicrous concept that he did would... He, did he talk about it, he would like, not on the push team? himself. No. 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 No one ever knew that. You but, didn't
0: know that until after mm-mm. everything happened. No,
1: read, read it in news articles. Yeah, those are the articles after... Um, but I mean, everybody on the team knew him, and his personality was: you push as hard as you possibly can push, mm-hmm. because why would you do anything else? Like yeah. there was a there was a race the year after, uh, a bunch of Notre Dame runners got together and ran the New York Marathon, and I w- there was an article on it, and there was like when they pass when they pass the bench, cause there's a bench in central park now that's got like his name on it of basically where he fell. Um, and they said when they pass it at mile 21, no one will stop because Ryan would not have let them. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause that's, that was his mind frame. You just, you run. Does it hurt? Great. Keep running.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, so there is that mentality and I think that, you know, so that would be more of an elite type of mentality. So how does this apply to real life runners. Because I think that there are definitely a lot of applications and we might not be training at that level. I know I sure as heck am not. Like you tend to train more at that level than I do. Like you are trying to actually win races. I dip my
1: toes into that level a little bit more.
0: I mean, and obviously you're not at the level of like the Olympic marathoners or anything. Most
1: definitely not.
0: But you are still trying to Push your limits and see. <laughs> and I think that all of us are to an extent. Um, and I think that that's where this application comes into the real life runner. Yes. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to get into now. So, first, while we start, let's get into just being fit, being healthy. Like, what are those basics in fitness? Um, so, number one, Someone who is fit and healthy exercises regularly. Um, Studies vary in basically how much is enough, but 30 minutes of moderate exercise has major impacts on your overall health and longevity.
1: And then you get all sorts of studies. It's like it's 30 minutes a day. It's 30 minutes five days out of the week. You can actually split the 30 minutes up into two 15-minute segments, but somewhere around 30 minutes a day, but it's also moderate exercise. Mm -hmm. And then... What moderate is gets a little bit redefined, also that it's actually yes. way lower in intensity than you would think
0: it is. It's not what you would think. And I actually watched a TED talk, um I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, where there was a cardiologist on, and he basically was saying that too much exercise is not good for you, right, and running specifically, I think is one of the things that he targeted, of course, because like people like to to target running, But how running at super high levels actually has The opposite effect,
1: right? Because the argument is you're going overboard, you're doing too much. You're doing too much, right? And
0: so then he went into you know cellular aging and DNA telomeres and all you know all those things about. I know, right? So how you like if you overdo, overtrain, you're actually putting your body through too much oxidative stress, which actually leads to increased rates of aging.
1: Which sounds sounds justified. I'm sure he's got all the science behind it. I'm going to go for a run tomorrow.
0: <laughs> but that's where all of this is a trade-off too. And, yes. and and you have to learn this information and then apply it to you. It was like when you and I were at that conference a couple years ago and we were talking, we were meeting different people and we met this one guy who was like um, a coach for one of the multi-level marketing fitness companies mm-hmm. and he said oh I used to be and we told him we were running coaches he said oh I used to be a runner but then I stopped because I realized it was killing me and I was like what are you talking about He's like, well haven't you seen all the new studies about the oxidative stress and blah 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 blah?" and he starts going off and I'm like okay like and, and to an extent like you know there are studies out there that you can find yes you know that when you train and put your body through very very high intensity exercise like that you can age faster. But I mean, ultimately does running really shorten your life? Like I would argue that in general, it would probably lengthen it. I mean, there, there's, I'm sure some studies out there, but how many longitudinal studies are there that show the difference between runners and non-runners
1: that, that can actually be justified and you can go through and see causation and not just random correlation. exactly the because
0: then you would have to control know.
1: for so many variables you could also get hit by a bus tomorrow yeah. so if you want to go out and run go out and run but so, yes general fitness is sort of 30 minutes of moderate exercise which can be at the level of like brisk walking mm-hmm. that that covers it it
0: does yeah and but Other than um, running, strength training has also been shown to improve your general health and longevity and your quality of life as you get older. Like I tell this to my older patients all the time. Like you need to engage in resistance training to help prevent osteoporosis, osteopenia, like all of these things as we get older, like you need strong muscles in order to continue to live independently and live the life that you want to live.
1: Right. So if you want to argue any side, overdo the strength because that's going to help you as long as you don't get to a point where you're just so muscular that you can't even function at that point. I can't put
0: my arms down.
1: (laughs) But the strength training (laughs) shows some great signs and the running side gets a little bit debated about what what the appropriate limit is on it but um strength has has shown to actually improve the ear longevity on that side
0: right so exercise regularly number 2 eat healthy
1: yeah the fundamentals I, I took from one of your favorite uh, eating Pollen. books, yes, mm-hmm. from Michael Pollan of what is it, real food eat real food, mostly plants and not too much yep seven words and, and that's that 's not that complicated right. of figuring out how to eat healthy, you know stop eating junk is yeah. kind of the uh, the overruling behind this that 's
0: going to make you healthier that 's going to improve your longevity like it just will like you have to eat good food in order to fuel your body the the proper way because if you're eating a bunch of junk, your body is going to be inflamed and chronic inflammation causes all sorts of disease processes in the body.
1: Right. But you make a good statement there of chronic inflammation, which means right. you shouldn't eat junk all the time. But exactly. every once in a while, if you're like, mm, man, that piece of cake looks delicious, mm-hmm. it'd be okay.
0: Especially if your wife makes it.
1: Especially. Well, yeah. If you make it, I guarantee there's not <laughs> random junk inside of it. That's true, too. You never know what's going to be in there when you put it together, but <laughs> it's not junk. I know that much. Like, <laughs> this one's made without an egg. Really? What'd you put in there? Don't worry about it. Just try it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, and that's kind of, that's our philosophy is that nothing should be off limits. Like you just have to understand how the food affects you and then make your choices accordingly because... There are some people that can't eat eggs that yep. because it upsets their stomach and gives them gas or gives them inflammation or gives them, you know, stomach issues like you need to know how food affects you and I think that this is becoming much more of um a popular topic nowadays like there's a lot of testing out there where you can take blood tests or gut testing to figure out what food sensitivities you might have and how those foods might be affecting you and I've I've seen a lot of that out in you know friends and social media and stuff like that people are becoming much more aware Um, I had a friend the other day that I was talking to she did a radical um, food elimination diet a couple months ago, and she just, like, eliminated basically everything, everything from her diet. She was eating um, some vegetables, like, okay. for, like, a 30-day period, and then she gradually started to reintroduce some foods um, to figure out what was going on because she was just having a lot of really weird symptoms, and she figured out that she was sensitive to dairy and eggs, um, and then, like, now she eats a lot less meat. Like, you know, she so she's just eating more plants, again, like eat food, mostly plants, not too much, you know? Like, that's really the one of the best keys to health as long as those things don't irritate you because yes. there are some people that have um, certain sensitivities to some plants. Like, there are... Um, Things called the FODMAPs, like which are like the nightshades, like I was the say nightshades, nightshades, like which are like eggplant, bell peppers, tomatoes, those kind of things. Those those are very acidic, and those can upset some people's digestive systems and overall hormones. So, but you know, we're not going to get into all of the details of that now. But the the whole point here is eat healthy food, but what's healthy for you?
1: Yeah, and also don't don't restrict yourself so much that you uh, you.
0: That you feel restricted.
1: Right. I mean, when we were at a wedding over the weekend, it was, and there were little cups of peanut M&M's because the groom loved peanut Mm M&M's. I had some. Yeah. I know peanut M&M's aren't good for me, but there was no way I was not going to have a handful of peanut M&M's. I love peanut M&M's. They're delicious. Right. And, and... I was going to enjoy myself there,
0: as you should. And I was going to enjoy at least one of each of the things at the dessert bar. When
1: there were three dessert options, you should try them all. <laughs> you have That's to just try them. Rude to the couple getting married to not especially try them when all. you
0: can't pronounce one of them. That's true. All <laughs> they right. had they had some Greek pastries that were delicious, but I still don't know what one of them was.
1: I don't remember. The and there was baklava, and then there was the Galapagos Islands. <laughs>
0: I, I should look it up and put it in the show notes.
1: Perfect. All right. Point number three on fitness basics sleep adequately. Adults need somewhere between seven to nine hours a night to function at their optimal level, and essentially, no one gets it.
0: Yeah, the average American actually sleeps six hours and forty-eight minutes.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and USA is actually not even the top five worst countries in the world. Yeah, that that I found kind of amusing, um, also. Yeah,
0: that kind of surprises me. Yeah, but here's the other. Here's another statistic that was kind of frightening. Teenagers need. Closer to eight to 10 hours of sleep because, you know, they're still growing and their brains brains are still developing. Yeah, brains are still developing at that point, including the frontal lobe, which is their decision making, you know, part of the brain. Um, But anyway, teens need closer to eight to 10 hours and are getting like six and a half. Right. Because the course loads are so insane. Like we've been dealing with this with our. The kids on our team, like their schedules are so crazy. They're expected to take all of these college level courses. They have so much homework. Like they're not getting the amount of sleep that they get. Like how is that affecting them later on?
1: Right. It's. It is. Yeah. It, it's definitely going to affect them later on. There was another one. Um, uh, the stat that I pulled off of the same website that I didn't write down here, but uh, it was something like ninety-seven percent of college students are not getting enough sleep.
0: I totally believe that.
1: And out of the survey they took, because it was like a random survey, um, I forget the company that was doing it, but 82% of college students stated that they were not performing as academically well as they could because they weren't sleeping enough.
0: Yeah, they know they're not sleeping. They
1: know they're not sleeping Mm -hmm. enough. They know that it's affecting their performance and yet they're still not sleeping enough.
0: Yeah. I mean, we would have said the same thing in (laughs) college. I mean, we stayed up all night studying or partying yes it was one or the other like yes. but you stayed up late that was just how the college life was structured
1: yes yeah it's it's almost designed when you've got classes that don't start until like there were night classes there you were. could start classes at 8 eight thirty at night mm-hmm. that's going to go super late you could also have another class at 8 o'clock the next morning yeah there's no way you're getting work done in between that you're not sleeping enough yeah the, the schedules are kind of set up against you and sleep deprivation leads to all sorts of things it shows a very strong connection with depression depression. Yes. Um, it leads to a lack of focus. I think they said that it's the number five cause of car accidents worldwide mm-hmm. is, I believe it. is drowsy driving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's just to people that admitted to it. Yeah. Like that was literally in the car accident reports, people that admitted to being drowsy as they were driving.
0: Right. And how much of, you know, not getting enough sleep actually the kids that are being diagnosed with ADHD and like being take put a on, nap and be right. And being put on drugs. And obviously this is not a blanket statement. There are definitely kids out there or adults that actually have clinical issues And I'm not trying to minimize any of that, but I'm sure a lot of people that are, have difficulty focusing or are seem hyperactive, especially kids, especially young kids, especially young boys, like, How much of that could be relieved by sleeping better and getting more physical activity? Like, but they're taking recess out of schools and they're taking the physical part and they're trying to get these kids that are like seven, eight, six years old to sit in a desk and focus for... Six hours a day, like yeah. it 's just not going to work, yeah
1: no kids like six to six to ten year old kids I think that 's the range I think it's six to ten uh might be seven to ten need ten to twelve hours of sleep a night, right and
0: suddenly well, they're they, like and no most no of them don 't
1: all these kids now have to participate in like seven clubs, right. two different sports every season yep. they 've eliminated recess, cut down on p e maybe at best you 're getting p e like once a week from most schools. So then they're trying to get some activity by playing sports afterwards, mm-hmm. but they've also got all these clubs and starting like fourth grade, they're taking the, like, we've got nieces that are on the pre-med track. Yeah. Like pre-med track? Right. How old are you? Right. Like, what birthday did we you're just celebrate? Yeah. Like, there's no way you're on a pre-med track. And yet they are like, oh no, I had to choose. I chose pre-med over the pre-law track. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. I don't know what that means.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's just – but the thing is, like, I know that it's happening because our kids come and tell us this because we're like, well, you have to go to bed at 8 o'clock. And they're yes. like, well, so-and-so in my class doesn't go to bed until 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And I was like, well – and I always thought, well, that I, that's okay. Like, I'm not their parent. Like, I can't make that decision. I'm making the decision that I think is best for you. But, I mean, how many times have our kids – Mention oh, that you all know. The time. And, and I mean, the
1: list—the list of their classmates that they can rattle up who are allowed to stay up until ten o'clock. Right. I'm like, well, that's terrible.
0: <laughs> well, don't be judgy.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I I have so <laughs> many I have so many freshmen that I mean, we're over during the first week of school. I have kids that are almost falling asleep in the middle of asking me a question. Yeah. Now, I understand that it's the opening week and I'm in some like intro material and it's a little dull. And so every once in a while, if a kid starts dozing off in my class, yes, one, they're sleep deprived. But two, I had a kid who fell asleep while asking a question to me. That's how tired he was. Seriously? Yeah. He's on the football team. so In he's, the middle of a question. Yeah. Mid question, he dozed off in the middle of his own question. That's how exhausted he is. Wow. Yeah. Like you might need more sleep dude yeah. and but no nope, football is football practice goes from the end of school until the sun sets yeah. that's football practice
0: right and then as runners there are times that we sacrifice sleep so that we can get up early and get our runs in, or we there are some people that run later after the kids go to bed, like you know there are some choices that people are making that are sacrificing sleep or maybe they're not getting enough of the healthy foods, it could be because people are really really busy, so they're running through drive throughs or whatnot, and they're making other choices that don't support general health
1: right, which. Kind of starts directing us into the whole idea of, of race ready, mm-hmm. of what choices are you making against your health in the name of, well, I have to prep for this race. Yeah. And one of the big ones, I think, is sleep. In that one of the ways that you prep for race is making sure that you've increased your mileage enough, that you've built in your weekly long run. Mm-hmm. like No one goes to their like regular physical, non-runners. Runners are like, oh yeah, long run, I got that. It's what I do on my Saturday or my Sunday morning, whatever it is. <laughs> but, Don't
0: ask me what I'm doing this Saturday, I'm running.
1: <laughs> but... Like most people don't get their like annual physical checkup. Well, most people don't get their annual physical checkup period, but if they do, (laughs) their doctor does not prescribe to them, you know what you should do every single weekend is run for two and a half to three hours. Like it's just, it's not a standard protocol. Most non-runners don't know what a long run even is. Yeah. So when you come in as a runner and you're like, oh no, I've got a half marathon coming up. I've got to go get my, my 13 mile, my 15 mile, whatever it is that's a long time out there and it's possible in order to fit it in especially if you have kids
0: especially if it's ridiculously hot in florida and you have to run before the sun's up otherwise you're going to pass out
1: right i mean when on your weekly weekend long run when do you mm-hmm. get up in the morning
0: um usually no no later than 5 like right. sometimes like 4:45 sometimes right. even 4:30
1: so if you're trying to aim for 7 to 9 hours of sleep and you try and count backwards from that you're mm-hmm. like oh I have to go to bed when? Yeah. and When it, our
0: kids go to bed. Right. Basically.
1: Yeah. And so if you're trying to get any, if you try and get the kids to bed, don't let the kids stay up late because heaven forbid that you have any free time after the kids go to bed, you know, put them to bed at eight so that you can actually maybe, maybe talk to your spouse at some point in time mm-hmm. would be helpful.
0: Well, that's why we just have a podcast. We just talk to each other here in front of a microphone. <laughs> talk to
1: each other after <laughs> we hit record. Um, so... You know, you need to increase the mileage because increasing mileage leads to fatigue resistance and increases your mitochondria and your you capillary just wanted to density. Say mitochondria. I love saying mitochondria <laughs> is the best, but I don't know if. You know, there's a trade-off to this.
0: Right. There's a benefit of a long run. And if you're training for a race, you need to have a long run in your schedule.
1: Right. But um, there's also an argument that, that may personally hit me on this one, that sleep deprivation may have possibly caused... Or at least affected my seizures.
0: I would say affected. Like, I wouldn't say caused. I don't think it's necessarily
1: a direct cause and effect. Well, because
0: I think that there were multiple factors involved here.
1: But I think sleep deprivation was one of them. Right. In that I had trained for a marathon, and then I followed that up by training for another marathon, and I had a little window of, of down between it, but not very much. So most weekends, I was getting up really early, and... I was also staying up too late at night. Now since then I've completely overhauled the schedule. We try to go to bed as close to 10 o'clock as we possibly can, mm-hmm. but I was not. I was going to bed at like 11, 1130, 12.
0: 12. But and I mean, then
1: waking up at five and going and running 18 miles. Yeah.
0: But I also think it was a, a many, many years of chronic sleep deprivation with yes. you too. Like from college, I don't know what, you were, what your habits were like in high school, but definitely in college and after college, like it was the same thing. Like you were running at a division one level and you were a chemical engineering major at Notre Dame. Like you weren't getting any sleep, No, you know? And so then after that, you were still a night owl. You were, you still weren't getting much sleep because then we were on like a long distance relationship. I, sh- I sure know I wasn't getting enough sleep. You were sleep. getting
1: no sleep because you were on the bad side of the time change for yeah. a phone call. And so
0: we were try- you know, we were on the phone calls late at night trying to maintain a somewhat of a relationship long distance. Um and it, it, it was just years of, of chronic sleep deprivation, I think, that kind of all accumulated at this time because of the level to which you were pushing your body right and and that's not to say I think that that was really hard for you at the beginning like when you thought that like your running could have played a role yes. in this um, but I think you, it seems like you've kind of come to a better point in this
1: well I feel like I just need to make sure that I'm really focusing in on all aspects of health and not just not denying different areas for the sake of being able to get in a run. Yeah. You know, like, Ooh, if, if I go to bed too late, I will not run that next morning. Like yeah. I have many, many times shut off my, my alarm to get me up in the morning for the sake of getting an extra hour because we were up too late doing something, Yeah, you know? And that thing, I justified it at the time knowing full well, well, I'm going to bed at 11, 11. 15 tonight. I'm not running tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. And maybe that means I'm not running tomorrow at all. Maybe I'm going to be able to get in something later in the day. So I have to decide the night before basically. If if I'm going to do this thing, that means I'm not running tomorrow. So would I rather go out and do this or get in my run tomorrow? And that way I accept it. Yeah. Back when I was trying to do both, I would go out, and then I'd be out and feeling like, ah, oh, I wish I was sleeping because I'm still going to get up tomorrow morning, and that run is going to feel terrible because I'm only going to get like four and a half hours of sleep, and I would have this going through my head. So I wasn't enjoying going out. Yeah,
0: so you weren't even fully present to what was going on. Right.
1: I was not I was not fully enjoying the experience the night before, and then I was not enjoying the run the night after because then it was a thing that I had to do, and I was, I was miserable because I was so exhausted during it. Yeah. So... I had I had mental wear down, I had physical wear down and it all added together. I that was before we had I mean that was in the middle of kind of turning our nutritional life around, but shoot back in college I wasn't sleeping, I was eating terribly and I was running 90 to 100 miles a week. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a long toll on my body.
0: Yeah, so I mean, so basically at that time, you were sacrificing your general health in order to prepare for a race and do the things that you thought you needed to do in order to be race ready. And now you've kind of flipped that. And so you are prioritizing more your general health, understanding that you might have to miss some workouts or some runs or modify some things. So there's a chance that you might not be as fast. Like you don't really know yet because you haven't tested it. But like, I mean, so far so good. Like with the half marathon, right? I mean... So
1: far so good. I mean, I haven't PR'd in a little while, but I'm also a little bit older than when I've set those PRs. Yeah. So I, I think that there's like a balance to this. But it because I'm focusing more on the overall health mm-hmm. while also taking these aspects of being race ready, I'm trying to get... I wouldn't say it's a balance, well, I but I'm trying to pull both in.
0: There's no balance, right? There, like, and especially like if you're preparing for a race, especially if you're trying to win a race, um, or set a PR or hit a BQ or like trying to hit things that you haven't possibly hit before, run your first marathon. Like there are sacrifices that you are going to have to make. And so what we want, like the purpose here is to have you think about them, Think about what sacrifices you are making in order to become race ready and figure out if it's actually worth it. Because is it worth actually sacrificing your general health in order to be hit, hit that specific goal or do the things that you think are going to hit that specific goal? Because in your head, like you, hitting that workout or hitting that long run was going to get you more ready from, for the race. But you could argue that getting more sleep is actually better for you Becoming more race ready than getting in those few extra miles, you know, that extra hour of sleep or whatnot.
1: Yeah, it's you really you have to make sure that all bases are covered as best as you possibly can yeah. and sometimes sometimes the the training plan gets tweaked because you're you made a different choice yeah. and you want to make sure that you're staying still as healthy as you possibly can right we also cover the multiple intense workouts per week
0: right so when you're trying to train for when you're when you're training for a race one of the things you're going to do is is increase your mileage and build in a long run the second thing you're probably going to do is put in some more intense workouts during the week. You want to try to integrate some speed work, whether that's some, you know, faster, like quarter repeats, mile repeats, some tempo runs, whatever it is. But those faster workouts are more intense than your easy runs. And those can result in both physical fatigue and mental fatigue.
1: Yeah. I think one of the really overlooked aspects is the mental fatigue, which builds up. Like, yes, if you schedule a week out nicely, you have hard days, you have easy days, we're very big into the the up and down training, but just because you had a day where you could physically recover from that hard run and your legs aren't totally spent you're like, yeah, no, I can physically make my legs go real fast again. Are you mentally recovered from that thing? Because that has wear and tear. And then if you've got other stresses from coming in from other aspects of your life, besides just running, maybe it takes a day for you to physically recover, but it takes like two, three, four days for you to mentally recover and be ready for that next Mm -hmm. one. So over the course of like a two, three month training cycle, that mental fatigue can really build up on you. And by the end of it, you can be mentally exhausted.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because we all need time to relax, especially when you're pushing your body to those kinds of levels. And I think that a lot of people tend to neglect that area they, they understand that they need to spend more time training and doing the things that they need to do but they don't always include the downtime the recovery time that's also needed because like people have been talking to me lately about running a full marathon like oh when are you going to run a full this and that and I'm like right now I just don't feel like I have the time to dedicate in order like it at the level that I know I need to be at. And that is not just the training. Like the training is not that big of a deal. Like I know I would have to increase my long runs, increase my mileage. I get all that, but it's also the recovery time. Like that people don't always factor in because relaxation and recovery time after all of these intense runs is really, really
1: important. Yeah. People totally neglect the mental training side of this, Mm -hmm. which is huge. Like you need time to actually recoup from these. Going off on a ridiculous long run. Yeah. I'd argue sometimes my long runs, especially like a really nice, easy pace long run gets me into almost meditative state. But then I've got other runs where I'm like pushing the pace for like an hour, like a longer Mm. steady state that is mentally exhausting. Yeah. Um, especially if I do it on a treadmill where I've got like a blank wall. Mm -hmm. That that's rough. Yeah. And it's designed to be that way. Like I purposely do that, but I need to I need to have a few days. Like I like to do those on Monday and then not touch speed again until Thursday. I Mm -hmm. give myself two days to mentally recoup from that. And then the speed, I don't even tap that much mentally into that because Mm -hmm. it's short and fast and it the the because the intensity is pretty high the interval's over because before you have time to be like, oh, my legs hurt. I want to slow down. It, you're yeah. already done.
0: Right. And so when you're in that race training cycle, you're going to have these ups and downs of the training re- week. You're going to have the easy runs. You're going to have the harder runs. You're going to have the long runs. And you also need to build in the recovery in order to move forward. But the issue is, like, how long can you sustain that? Because, like, are, are you able to sustain that up and down, up and down, and up and down, like, how long is that sustainable? Like, you have a racing cycle. You're training for a race. But we believe in cycled training throughout the course of the year as well.
1: Right. Throughout and, the course of a year, throughout the course of several years together. yeah, You need some overall ups and downs in your big picture training mm-hmm. also.
0: Yeah, because how nice is it? I mean, I know I love it when I have a non... When, like Right now, I haven't chosen a race yet. And I've just been running. And I love it because... I'm going out and I'm still getting in good shape. I'm still – I still keep on my long runs. I still am doing speed work. I feel like I'm getting in really good shape. But when I don't feel like doing a run or a workout, like, I don't have to. Like, I can choose not to. And that mental freedom to say, no, not today, is really great. Versus, like, if you're training for a race, like, you know, like, this is on my plan. Like, I've got to hit this. Like, you feel more pressure. Like, even though if you are on a plan and you are training for a race, you don't actually have to. Like, it's, it's going to be okay. It's still going to be it's okay. It's still going to be okay if you, like, have to skip a workout. Like, but I think for some people, mentally, that's very tough because they feel like they're missing something. So it's hard for them to say, no, I can't run today.
1: Right. All right. One of the uh, other topics I think we should get into, some of the other issues that show up with trying to get into racing, um, is trying to race and lower your weight simultaneously. Yeah. This, this gets real dangerous. It does. Um, especially if you're trying to train for like a real long distance race, like trying to lose weight and train for a marathon simultaneously is a real dangerous prospect.
0: It's a dangerous combination.
1: Yeah, you talked about this back at the beginning out of uh, out of Dana Castor's book of she was clearly marathon ready, yeah. but she was not healthy enough to withstand the impacts her her bones literally couldn't support. They just shattered under her.
0: Right. Because if you in order to lose weight, there needs to be an energy deficit. Like, that's what ha- has to happen, right? Yep. So, you need to burn more energy than what you consume. And if your body's in an energy deficit and you're also training at higher intensities, like you're, you're breaking your body down. And so then, if you're not refueling your body properly, then it's got to get those nutrients from somewhere. And so then your body just starts leaching it from your own bones and muscles.
1: Right. So, when you're training for something that is a much longer race, you need to eat.
0: As an athlete as an that's athlete. training for a race. Right. You yeah. can't
1: eat as somebody who's trying to lose weight. Right. And those two mind frames are very far from each other. They are. If you're training for a marathon, you need to eat looking to refuel your body appropriately mm-hmm. so that it can gain the benefits from whatever the workout or long run right. or whatever it was. You need to take in enough fuel for yourself.
0: Right. Because, and this is one of the reasons that a lot of people get injured while they're marathon training or while they're, you know, training for a specific race is they're not refueling properly and they're trying to still maintain a cal a calorie deficit or an energy deficit they're still trying to um you know, they just, they're, they're still trying to maintain a certain body weight. And I've heard a lot of people that actually gain weight during marathon training. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that that's necessary. I think that you can still like, you know, maintain or even just lose like a little bit of weight over the course of a few months.
1: Right, but keep an eye on the number. I I like to keep an eye on the number because if my weekly mileage gets up too much, every once in a while, the number gets a little bit too low because... I I naturally burn a ton. You do. So if then I ramp my mileage up and I'm hitting like 70 or more miles a week, the amount of food I need to take in during a day sometimes is a little daunting.
0: Well, and and that's the thing (laughs) is that you need to be aware of that because you need to be fueling yourself like an athlete so that your body doesn't start breaking itself down and that... When you do those longer runs and those harder workouts, you're then replenishing your body to allow your body to then get stronger and make those adaptations. Because if you don't refuel after those hard workouts, your body is not going to gain the benefits of those workouts.
1: Right. But then you get into the whole, how do I recover for some things? And people are like, oh no, I saw this thing online that said after a long run, I'm supposed to actually not eat for a little bit of time so (laughs) that my body can actually deal with the Inflammation on its own, like whatever. There's all sorts of stuff there's that people so come up with. Like, ideas. Oh no, my friend did this. Great, your friend did that. That must be the perfect plan. Right. And it's obviously going to work for you as well. Mm-hmm. You, it's an experimental process, but in general. You want to make sure that you 're taking in plenty of food, take in plenty of of actual nutrients that you can help fuel your body um, right. there 's a thing on on fasted training, mm-hmm. like waking up in the morning, not taking in some calories and then trying to go out for a run so that your body can try to get used to using more of its fat as a fuel source yeah. versus just burning through its glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I listened to one coach talk about the idea of training low and racing high that they do most of their, their they do a lot of their workouts without any sort of nutrients during the ra during the practice or before it, they'll mm-hmm. have like a four hour window where they take in nothing. And then before they race, they take, you know, something before mm-hmm. the race, like these, these gels and goos and stuff yeah. like that right before the race. Rocket so that, fuel essentially, yeah, they're flying, yeah during the race. That's, that's the premise. Mm -hmm. But he said, there's a point where this is not a safe thing. Mm -hmm. And this is one of his core philosophies is train low race high. And he says, but you can't do it always because the body will break down. If you always train low, your body will rebel against you there. You can do it periodically, but not always, which I thought was really funny because it was one of his go-to training methods. Mm -hmm. And he goes, but not daily. Yeah. It's really unsafe daily.
0: Well, and this is one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand is that and again, cycling, like you need to cycle all of these things, including your eating. Like if you're training for a race, you need to fuel your body for the race and to fuel your body to rebuild itself after all those hard workouts. Like, and then when you're in a down cycle, you know, maybe you can be a little bit, more uh, watchful about what you're consuming. Like if you, if you do want to like lose a little bit of weight or something like that, like if that, if that's a goal for you, sure.
1: If that's a goal, a down cycle is a good time. A
0: down cycle is a very good time for that. But training for a race is not the time to also try to simultaneously lose weight because most likely you're going to end up with shin splints or some other sort of pain or problem because your body's just not, you're breaking your body down without rebuilding it properly. And I think that leads us nicely into the last thing that we want to talk about, and that is people that tend to race hop. So there's always a race on the calendar. It's always close. You're always kind of in training mode, and you never take that down cycle.
1: Right. We've mentioned down cycles a lot on this thing. I think maybe we would take a second to actually talk about them, that it's... It's not just like, oh, after this race, I'm going to take a few days easy. It's taking a few months easy where you don't have a race coming up, where you're actually able to pull back on the mileage, to pull back on the intensity, to pull back on any sort of mental fatigue and let your whole body, head to toe, actually recover. Mm -hmm. You can certainly still run during this. This is not three months of laying on a couch.
0: Right. Well, I mean, there are some coaches out there that say you should not run for a month like there's like math training and there's some of these like, in you know, endurance, um, like the people that talk about and promote fat burning and the keto mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like there is um, a book out there and I, I can link to it in the show notes. And that's one of the things that they say is like, you should take a month of just doing nothing after a race cycle.
1: After a race cycle? Yeah. I like mean, after an
0: intense race cycle,
1: there's, you
0: should only go up for four weeks. Like you should up for four weeks and then you should just.
1: Rest. It's an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's plenty of elites out there, elite coaches out there that would argue that you should take off as many days as miles as you just ran. Mm-hmm. So, if, so you if you just raced a marathon, a marathon, you're essentially off for almost a month—twenty six days. And you know, when you're when you're working with super elite athletes, that gets a little tricky. But mm-hmm. I've heard plenty of interviews with athletes. I love hearing the athlete interviews, and they're like following a race and the the guy the host will be like so what have you been up to and they're like well i haven't run in the last 9 days yeah and like wait you haven't run like these are professional runners and right. they have not run And he goes no i walked my dog but uh i walked the dog the dog does not want to run at all i've been walking <laughs> my dog Right. so and that that's where they're at some of them you know after they're a couple of weeks out they'll be like oh yeah i started to jog for like thirty minutes. Yeah. And and that's that's where they're at. And mm-hmm. because their training got to such a high level, they were so keyed in and focused on it mm-hmm. that they physically and mentally needed this massive recovery. Yeah. And then following that like huge of nothing period, it was then still followed by a couple of months before they were ready to actually start ramping back up and looking on like mentally thinking about the next race. Mm-hmm. They had a few months of just running for the sake of running without saying oh yes this race is coming six months from now eight months from now they're not worried about that they're just kind of running
0: well and that's why a lot of the elite marathoners they run like one or two per year
1: and depending on who you are some of them knock out four a year yeah but some try and hit one seasonally which to me general, sounds brutal right some of them will hit about two yeah. two a year
0: i think that's standard th-
1: yeah then you can get one and then you can get some a down period, prep for the next one, run that one. You can kind of hit two quality a year, I think, mm-hmm. is, is really your best way of, of pulling it off.
0: Yeah, but the real-life runners out there typically don't do this. Like,
1: no, they like to race hop.
0: Right, because as real-life runners, we are runners and we are in it for to stay in shape, to be fit, to deal with our lives, right? Yep. Because running helps us to de-stress and do lots of different things. There's a lot of things that running helps us to do. And there are those people that do just like to hop from race to race to race. Like there's always a race on their calendar.
1: There's always a race. But you pointed out a very interesting thing there of real life runners run for all these different reasons. They don't necessarily race for them they run for those and you don't need to have a race on the calendar to get the mental benefits and the physical benefits of going out and running mm-hmm. that you could fully enjoy during a physical mental down cycle yeah. you can get plenty of, of miles in and stay in great shape without there having to be a race on the calendar mm-hmm. if you fully accepted that you're a runner that means that you go out and run you don't have to have a race on the calendar otherwise well if I haven't paid for a race I'm just going to take the next three weeks off you don't don't have to do that. Yeah. You don't have to have a race in order to actually get out the door. Yeah. Just go and get out the door. Hmm. Um. So being on this like perpetual leap from one race to the next, it's what I call the endless quest for a PR. Yeah. You're probably not going to be PRing on a regular basis. Right.
0: I mean, and in a lot of cases, that's going to lead to a plateau and a lot of frustration.
1: Yeah. Lots of frustration. Right.
0: Because. A lot of people, not everybody, there are people that just run races just for fun and they just like to be in the race environment, and that's cool.
1: That's a totally different concept. Right.
0: That's running, not racing. Yes. That's a different story. Like, if you are racing, you are trying to hit some PR, some time, some place. Like, that's a different. Mode of training than to just run a race.
1: Right. Because you
0: enjoy racing or like you enjoy running in races, I should say. Yeah.
1: There's a guy that I've seen at most of the local races around here. Yeah. And I talked to him one time. I'm like, I don't think I've ever been to a a race anywhere in the general, like within 50 miles of our house that I've not seen that guy. Yeah. I'm like, what do you do during the week? Because you seem to race every weekend. He goes, oh, this is my hard run during the week. Mm -hmm. He has no high intensity stuff during the week. He does all easy miles during the week and then races on the weekend.
0: And you can do that.
1: I'm like, well, that's one way of not overtraining yourself because all he's doing. And he goes, sometimes, sometimes it's PR, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a good race, sometimes it's not. But I treat every race. I enjoy racing racing. I enjoy being around this group of people. I just like the fun of the atmosphere, mm-hmm. but this is my workout for the week. Yeah. And I would rather do a workout with other people than without. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, well, okay. That there makes sense to me.
0: I mean, and, and that's a good mentality to have for it because people that do go from race to race with the intentions of a PR at every single race, really just, that just, sets you up for overtraining.
1: Right, because you're always going to be able to look at the last race, the one that just finished, and be like, ooh, if I had just trained a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And so then most of the time, I would say, I, I might be wrong on this. This might be my own personal bias coming you're in here. You're never wrong. Thanks. Um, I'm sure <laughs> I've got a little bias coming to this one. But most people are going to look back at their last training cycle and find things that they could add to. Not find things that they could take away from and clean (laughs) up. But like, ooh, if I had done an extra... One more
0: speed workout a week. Yeah,
1: one more speed work. If I had added an extra strength session, if all of these long runs, if all of them just had one mile added to them every single time, like, those are just all ways of putting more things on there that's just going to set up to... Really overtraining because mm-hmm. you're going to be able to look back and be like, oh, I could have up my intensity, or I could have up my mileage, I could have up my volume, like whatever it is, it's probably going to be a way to add things on. Most people aren't going to look at their training plan and be like, oh, I probably should not have done this, I could have taken this away, and that would have helped me get faster. That
0: is such a good point. Like that is so that is so insightful right there. Like always adding on and never taking away. Like that is huge when a lot of people a lot of times could benefit from just removing something out of the mix
1: i know i i look back and i have to not just fall into this myself of be like ooh if instead of taking one day off every seven days, what if I only took one day off every 10 days? Mm. And then I thought to myself, why would I do that? That sounds, <laughs> that sounds exhausting. I'm not sure I'm going to get anything out of that. Yeah. Why don't I just focus on taking that one day off during the week and making sure that the other workouts are quality workouts instead of just trying to add more to it, make sure that the quality is good rather than just upping the quantity just for the sake of upping quantity.
0: Yeah, so I think that... We want you basically, like the whole point here is to have you think about what you're doing and the choices that you're making. Like, are you running for your general health and fitness or are you running to be race ready and do those things mesh? Like, are they, do they complement each other or are they in opposition to each other?
1: Right. It gets you to a point where if if they're in opposition you are setting yourself up to train through fatigue to train through injury warning signs way before like you could be like oh my calves are a little sore maybe I should take a day off and and just sort of treat those but if you're so focused on the next race you just ignore all fatigue you ignore mm-hmm. the warning signs and you just keep plowing Push through through it because you've got a race on the calendar damn it and you're going for it mm-hmm. so the I The point of this episode is really to be able to stop and think of why you're doing these things. Yeah, like
0: sometimes it's a good idea to pull back so that you can then move forward. Because maybe your race is... If you're training for a marathon and your race is still a couple of months away and you're starting to get some aches and pains, like if you take a couple of days off, you could deal with those before they turn into something bigger. And if you're still that far out from your race, it's not going to make a difference.
1: Right. And if you're like two days out from your race and suddenly you've got this like sharp pain in your leg, you got to figure out why you're doing that race. Like what is the goal out of that race? What kind of timeline are you working with? Is it worthwhile to try and push through that level of pain? Like what is this trade-off that you're making? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's ultimately what I'm coming at here is – really think through both sides. Don't just blindly say, I've got a race. I must do this. You don't, there's no must to anything.
0: Because it's your life and you get to choose. Right. You get to choose
1: whatever path you're taking. So just make sure that you're actually thinking and don't just let a race calendar dictate that you've, you have to do this training run. You have to do this race. You don't have to do anything.
0: Right. So think about your overall health, your general health, your general fitness, and then compare that to Some of the sacrifices that you're making in order to train for races and think about whether or not you are in fact overtraining and if there are things that you can remove um, from your training in order to prevent that from happening and to also promote your good health and promote your overall fitness so that you don't have to sacrifice one for the
1: other. Right. You want an overall big picture from your physical health to your mental health. You need to be enjoying yourself. You need to have time with friends, time with family it's not just running all the time, look at the big picture and see what kind of trade-offs you're making. Make sure that you are making the choices that you actually want to be making.
0: Yeah, because sometimes those trade-offs are fine. Like if you are training for a marathon, there are going to be times that you're going to have to say no to social engagements and that's fine. But that's one of the reasons it's such a good idea to also have those up cycles and down cycles. Because when you're in a training cycle, you can say no to those social engagements, but then also realize that in a couple of months, you'll have the ability to say yes. Of course so thank you guys for joining us as always we so so appreciate you spending this time with us today if you haven't yet left us a review on itunes we would absolutely love it if you would go over and leave us a review on itunes it helps us to reach new people and it helps more people to find our show so that we can help more and reach more people out there and if you're not following us on instagram check us out over on the grams i will put our um Instagram names in the show notes. Um, the main page is at Real Life Runners, and then Kevin and I each have our own individual pages where we kind of um, chronicle different things about our life and our training if you'd like to be in on that as well. For show notes, you can check out our website at realliferunners.com. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 102. Now get out there and run your life.